This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Squarespace and Lynda.com. My name is Ian Broom, and my favourite album is O by Damien Rice. Me, Obviously, me and you are a similar age, and we live in the same place. Uh, we both live in England. So I know this album well. I know Damien Rice well. I think anyone of our age knows the song Cannonball, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. I wonder if if anyone outside of England really knows who Damien Rice is. Well, first of all, that's very kind of you to say that we are of a similar age, because I know for a fact there is about seven years between us, but I will um, I will take that one in into my pocket and keep it. Um, <laughs> I think Damien Rice is pretty big in America. Yeah. So I, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, no, I don't really know. It's good to start on something I know nothing about. <laughs> um, but I, I think he did quite well. I think that um, the album came out in the UK and um, was a bit of a slow burn, I think. I think it took a while for it to really take off. But I think that, I think that, I think it probably was Cannonball. Oh, no, I know. His um, Blower's Daughter was featured in the film Closer um, with Jude Law and some right. other people. And I think that it was kind of on heavy rotation on, on, on US radio. And um, I think that that kind of propelled the album into the charts. This information ah, okay. is probably on the internet. We don't, you don't have to worry about that. We're podcasting. Who needs the internet? <laughs> Indeed. Um, so I think, it, I think it did do quite well in the US. But of course, part of the Damien Rice story is that he kind of um, went up like a rocket and then fizzled out like a flan in a cupboard, which is an Eddie Izzard phrase. Um, and he kind of did disappear from the face of the earth, including the US, for many years. Um, he did a second album after O, oh, um, but it was about three years later, I think, and it was kind of much anticipated. And then it was quite good, but it didn't do anywhere near as well as O. Oh. Um, and then he wasn't really heard of until this year, when he released his third album, um, which was... Which was pretty good as well. I th- quite liked it, but it was it was quite different because the previous albums, which is maybe this is something that we'll we'll talk about, um, but oh, and uh, and the follow up was very much um, kind of a, a collaborative effort. He was the he was the songwriter and he was kind of the main guy. But whenever you saw them live, it was very clear that it was a bit of a team effort. Whereas his most recent album, which came out this year, that was or maybe it was the end of last year. I'm not sure, but it was it was very much. Um, Damien Rice and Damien Rice alone. So this uh, O came out at a time uh, in the UK, at least, where the singer-songwriter was king, um, and you know it was one man or one woman with a guitar, right? That was like that was music, right? There were lots and lots of people at that time. I remember in the charts that, and, and it seemed like music then was it was just very stripped back, very quiet, right, and very simple, which this album really, really is. Um, so I wonder, like, how did you come to the album, and is this or was this a type of music that you really enjoy? I think that's. I think it is quite important to set the scene with this album because certainly in the UK we'd had the '90s, of course, because they'd come before the decade that comes after. But they were it was Britpop all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you've talked about this before in previous uh, episodes. It's it was um, you know Oasis. Blur, and then kind of in the late 90s, 
Um, of course, Radiohead were, were huge and you know still huge now. Um, but guitar music was, um, you know, plugged in guitar music was very much the thing for years over here. Um, and then I can't quite remember the dates of the albums, but there were a few albums, including um, uh, The Man Who by Travis, um, which came out and did unbelievably well. Um, and and a whole host of other acoustic kind of acts. David Gray was absolutely massive, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. it? Was, he did the single Babylon, which was kind of in the top 10 for maybe 10, 20, 30 years or something like that. Babylon. Like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's that's why people grew to hate it. Um, not because of you singing, of course, but just because it was just such a... It was just everywhere. Just It yeah. became like... It was... I mean, this was... Uh, Damien Rice was 2002. Um, and I was onto it early, but this was when acoustic music was kind of in its mid phase. I think. I think by the time Jack Johnson came around and ruined everything for everyone, everyone was really over it all. But this this came out at a time when people were into acoustic music, and I was into um, acoustic music. And that's a, a pretty rubbish term, isn't it? Acoustic music, but the kind of male singer songwriter who he's terribly sad. He's had some bad things happen. And he's going to sing about it, whether you like it or not. Yeah, via his guitar. Via his guitar and his tears. Yeah. And um, and I was I was well into that. That was all fine for me. And it was it was a bit of an antidote to the guitars that came before it. And um, I have chosen I've chosen this album because I did love it, um, and I loved it a lot. It reminds me of various things. I do think that we can either choose albums or be fond of albums that have its have you know have their own story um i was thinking of choosing bonnie Vare for for emma uh for emma forever ago <laughs> i know it well it's one of my favorites um and i decided not to because i know it was kind of his story i love the album but that was it's all about his story you know man who gets ill splits up with his girlfriend goes to live in a cabin and writes an album on his own he's terribly sad that's the that's the theme and um, and and that's great. But that was when I think about the album, I think about how much I love the music and the songs, and I love the story. I love his story. But when I think about Damien Rice and Oh, um, I haven't really listened to it a lot in the last few years at all. Um, but when I do listen to it, uh, it just brings my, my own memories, bring it back. It's my own stories, and um, and I think that that's what favorite albums really are. It's not the best album in the world. I don't think I could ever possibly argue that it's the best album. But um, I think of all my favourite albums that I've had, and I've had many like most people do, um, it's the one that was my favourite for longest and it was perhaps my favourite in uh, the strongest sense too. Where were you in your life when the album kind of came around to you? Um, I was literally in Sheffield and still am. Um Emotionally, I don't have no idea. Um, I guess I just finished university, so the album came out in two thousand and two, February two thousand and two. So I would have, um, gosh, I would, yeah, I would have just been towards the end of university, I think. Although in my head it was later. I feel like it was later, but Wikipedia tells me not. Um, but I do remember when I first heard about him, um, and uh, in the UK we have uh, Jules Holland. And he has, uh, he's a musician and he's, he's, uh, he's had a long running show um, on the BBC, um, weekly show, and it's sort of live music. 
And most acts either have two performances or kind of a headline act has three performances. And then every now and again, they have like a complete, completely new person no one's ever heard of. And they kind of just do one song. And I remember watching him uh, introduce Damien Rice. And I, th I think I was on my own as well. I have this really vivid memory of being on my own watching this. Um, and he played Blower's Daughter. And I remember just immediately thinking that it was the best thing I'd ever heard. Just absolutely loved it. Um, I loved his voice. I loved his kind of um, demeanor, if that's the right word. It probably isn't. Um, and I particularly love the line, um, I can't take my eyes off of you. <laughs> and, yeah. in, the way he and, sings uh, it as well, especially towards the end of the song, is so beautiful and painful. I can't take my eyes off of you. Can't take my eyes off of you. I can't take my eyes. It's kind of the opposite of how Andy Williams sang it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and it's true. And you know, I'm a I'm a writer, and I I, uh, I I'm sort of fascinated with words and and um, you know and stories and that kind of thing. And l listening back to the entire album now, I think that the lyrics are probably a little bit melodramatic and weak in general. Um, but I love I love um, really simple lines, just really simple lyrics that can kind of somehow um, just do more than they really should. And you're right, it's the way he sings it. And um, and, and that is a, a kind of a key part of, of Damien Rice and liking Damien Rice is his um, his live shows. Um, but the way he sings, um, can't take my eyes off of you, you just totally believe him. And, and, and that was, it felt different. You had David Gray singing uh, Babylon. You had Travis, who'd previously sang to great fanfare um why does it always rain on me and you kind of think that's all that's that is that is this kind of acoustic style of music and that's very popular and that's fine but it felt with Damien Rice it felt like he really meant it and he kind of it it, it felt like um it felt like it it kind of it kind of spoke to you in a, in a slightly different way for some reason I remember this album very well. This was this album came out at a stage in my life where uh, I was it, it, the most interested in music that I've ever been. Um, it was when I had an iPod and, and I had a part-time job and I would spend, you know, maybe 30, 40 pounds a week, twenty somewhere between 20 and 40 pounds a week on new music. I would just go to the iTunes store, look at what was new. If I had heard of them or I knew a single, I bought their album um, and I would listen to it. And I remember this album because obviously I knew Cannonball um, and I remember listening to this then and having listened back to it now it's just very interesting and different like it's it was reminding me of that time in my life when I was much younger um, but also like it's it's interesting to hear it now with like me being older more mature and understanding a little bit more about the world and the way it works and the, the music really has a way of like drawing you in because it is in places just very quiet um, and and uh, he has a, a great way of like just really like sort of drawing you into what he's singing about, and and it's it's quite emotional. It has a good effect, and and he he does a really really good job of that, which is very different, as you say, to to bands like Travis and like, because they still had a lot of production going on, you know, to to the tracks. Um, 
but this was very much not that. No, completely. And he's he's very much got the very, very quiet, suddenly very, very loud kind yeah. of thing going on. And that's emphasised much more when you see him live. And seeing him live was, I think, when I probably fell in love with um, the album and his music properly. Um, and so when I saw him on Jules Holland in Blow's Daughter, the album wasn't out then at all. He could have been anyone. I mean, he kind of looked like he'd just been dragged in off the street. And, um, and in fact, I think he had spent quite a lot of time busking um, around Europe. And, and I, I, it is very, I mean, I, I did used to go to a lot of gigs um, when I was at university, but I wasn't like one of those people who were out doing that every week, um, uh, really. And, but for some reason, after watching that performance, I immediately sort of went online to find out when he was playing. Uh, and just to find out more, and um, found that he was on in Manchester, so about an hour and a half on the train from uh, where I live. And um, and I rang two or three friends, and they kind of, for some reason, they had nothing to do. I suppose you don't when you've just left university. Um, and uh, and we all met up in Manchester, and it was an incredibly small venue, um, and there were about I don't know fifty to a hundred people there, and. Um, I remember standing at the back at the bar, sort of chatting, catching up with my mates. And then Damien Rice walked on stage and someone else walked on with him who I was not expecting. And that turned out to be Lisa Hannigan, who is um, or was Damien Rice's, um, well, partner in every sense, it turned out. Um, again, that becomes part of the Damien Rice story. Um but I, I'd got no idea that, that there was, um, you know, first of all, a band, but also, you know, someone else who sang with him. All I'd heard was him do this performance on Jules Holland. And um, and people clapped when he came on stage and, you know, they kind of did the usual thing. And then he he started playing the first song and the entire room just stopped. It was just like completely and utterly silent. And I'd never been to a gig where that had happened before. I guess because I'd previously been into heavier music, I suppose, where people are either jumping around or shouting or spilling beer on someone, accidentally stubbing cigarettes out on your thigh, that type of thing. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, these sort of 50 to 100 people just stopped and listened. And it was just an, an incredible thing. And uh, he did his, you know, he sang, he did his, whatever it was, the first song, I'm not sure what it was. And then Lisa Hannigan sang and... By crikey, she can sing. It was just unbelievable. And um, one of the kind of shames, I think, of, of the album version of all the tracks is that she's not on it enough. Um, because if you see them play live with the full band, which I later did as well, um, you realise that it was very much Damien Rice and Lisa Hannigan. It was, it was, it was a twosome. And, um, and that doesn't really come across on the album quite so much. And she's not credited as such either. Well, she didn't write any of the songs, but um, she was on four or five of them. But when you, like, honestly, if you see them live, it's like watching two people sing. And if you see some YouTube, uh, you know, here's lots of stuff on YouTube. She, is, she was absolutely integral. And what happened was after the second album came out, which was three or four, you know, about three years after it all blew up, um, he kind of sacked all his band, including Lisa Hannigan, who was also his girlfriend. And that did not go well. And um, <laughs> As these things would tend to go, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like 
one of those uh, one of those things that you sometimes want to do if you've had a bad day at work, where you go, "That's it, I am leaving. I hate you all, and you're all fired, and the company is finished." And um, and you never quite say those things because you know that it would probably be a bad idea. But he did it. He sacked his entire band, including Lisa Hannigan, who the entire fan base absolutely loved like you know people loved Damien Rice but they also kind of secretly knew that Lisa Hannigan was a little bit more than a backing singer kind of integral to the to the entire outfit and um she went on to um record write and record um a Mercury nominated album herself and I think uh, a follow-up album too her solo work is amazing her voice is absolutely amazing and um, and seeing them two together singing these songs for the and hearing me me hearing them sing these songs for the first time was probably the most I don't even know the right word I think special uh, moment I've ever had uh, 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 a gig I've later had sort of fantastic more memorable moments with my wife at places like Glastonbury Festival and stuff like that but at that point it was just it just blew me away and it reminds me of my it reminds me basically of this random trip to Manchester with my mates and not really knowing what to expect and just being completely blown away. This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform of over 3,000 on-demand video courses that are there to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills. You can get yourself a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash inquisitive. lynda.com is for people that have problems that they want to solve. It's for people that are curious and who want to make things happen. Whether you're looking to learn the foundations of color to make your designs pop, whether you're looking to learn localizations so you can communicate with your app to many people all around the world. Maybe you're looking to learn Java, you're looking to learn how to develop for Android, iOS, Swift. No matter what it is that you're looking to learn, you'll be able to watch and stream courses from experts who are super passionate about teaching, who are there to help you every step of the way with their fantastic courses that are all broken down into bite-sized pieces, allowing you to consume them in whatever order you like, and you can create and save them to playlists as well, so you can customize your learning path and even even watch on the go with your Android and iOS devices. But if you watch on the web, you can also view their great transcripts so you can very quickly search for answers and skip to that point in the video. Your Lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, go ahead and visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash inquisitive and sign up for your free 10 day trial thank you so much lynda.com for their support of this show and relay fm let's, let's talk about some of the tracks on the album itself um what are your favorites i would have said at the time that blower's daughter was probably my favorite i might even have said that cannibal was my one of my favorites as well listening back to it now kind of over a decade later um i do still like blower's daughter but I'm kind of less convinced. It still it still makes me tingle. It still brings back the memories, especially brings back memories of meeting my wife as well. Because around this sort of time, about a, maybe about a year after the album had come out, actually, um, I met who would become my wife, and um, and I have extremely vivid memories of just being desperate to play her this album. I'm one of those people, quite irritating, who <laughs> if I like something, <laughs> if I like something, no, you really must you must listen to this. You must read this book. Honestly, you've got to watch. This TV app. Look at this on my phone, and um, and um, and uh, thankfully she did, and she also liked it. And we spent about 
a year to 18 months sort of repeatedly listening to it. And of course, the line, I can't take my eyes off of you, uh, and the way that Damien sings it, uh, Damien Rice sings it, I don't know him personally, um, was, you know, even looking back now, that kind of makes me tingle, because I know that it was a very sort of special album for the pair of us. I can't take my eyes off of you. But also, um, I think I think it's hard to... I mean, favourites kind of change. I think if I was to say now... In fact, listening back to it now, as I've been preparing for this show, the song that I've repeated over and over again is Cold Water. Oh, can you hear me now? Which wasn't a single, and it's in the second half of the album, which is much less conventional, the second half of the album. Mm-hmm. But the song Cold Water, I just absolutely adore those opening chords. And it's the song where Lisa Hannigan sings the most. And uh, when she comes in, it's just, yeah, kind of shivery spine moments all over again. Almost every time as well, which is quite rare. And I Yeah, I was I was really struck by that one as well. Um, I, I was uh, reminded how different the second half of the album is to the first half. That the second half has a lot less Damien in it, um, and and there seems to be a lot more experimentation with the instruments and stuff like that. You know, like Eskimo, which is that's the final track. Uh, it, it's punctuated with an opera singer. is obviously extremely different to everything else because opera is like the loudest form of singing right and the rest of the album is Damien whispering uh, so it's it's really interesting I, I was also didn't remember Amy um, the song A-M-I-E uh, I didn't really remember that song but I really really enjoyed it a lot um, it has a beautiful string section in it which which I quite liked I feel like we have to give Cannonball a bit of a bit of time. We probably, probably just because of what it <laughs> what it was, right? Like, so this song Cannonball is fantastic, and, and I wonder now if like I think less of it just because it was completely played to death. Um, but there was a reason for that, is because it is a, a very beautiful, uh, very nicely presented uh, ballad, I guess. There's still a little bit of your taste in my mouth still a little bit of you laced with my doubt It's still a little hard to say It's kind of a pop song, but one of the interesting things about Cannibal is he was, as in Damien Rice, he was made to re-record it or, or remaster it in some way the radio so the version that's on the album um, I think I'm right in saying this doesn't have any drum track whatsoever it's it's quite it's kind of a it's the same tempo but it's it's uh, you know it's a, an acoustic entirely acoustic guitars 
um, and vocals, but to kind of uh, rev it up a little for the radio, they kind of, I guess, you know, to put some drums in there, kind of overproduced it basically. And that's the version that everyone knows is the, is the overproduced version. And I was, as you can imagine, having been there from the start at that little gig in Manchester, I was outraged. <laughs> no, no, this. no, no, you do not understand. <laughs> but isn't it, such an, isn't it a really interesting thing when that happens there? When you kind of, uh, you fall in love with something, you feel like you're the first. You're the first to ever hear this music and you will share it with the world and people will listen on your phone if you make them. And... And, and then all of a sudden, people do listen and people like it and you go, no, whoa, too many people, <laughs> too many people. Not, I don't want everyone to like it. I just want a very select few people to like it. And I want those people to know that I liked it first. Yeah, I think for me, that band is Kings of Leon. Of, well, of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I, I came to Kings of Leon relatively late Whatever the, their album previous was was when I kind of found Kings of Leon, and then of course Sex on Fire came out, and it was just like, well, now everyone on the planet is a fan of Kings of Leon, um, and and like watching their the, the 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 people that would be at their gigs completely changed, and and it was you know, and it's one of those things like it sounds you know it's so it's the the, the kind of the real hipster thing right say so, oh I know about them before you did, but it really does change your enjoyment of the band when. Um, there are people that, that, you know, you love it for everything. And then there are people that love that one song and think that that's everything. And how did you feel about the Arctic Monkeys? Because that, that's happened to them, really. I mean, they were really an underground hit. And, um, and uh, you know, you talked about this at length on, on your very own favourite album on your show. But uh, I, I, I come from Sheffield. I come yeah. from where the Arctic Monkeys came from. And I'd heard about them. I was aware of them playing at the forum and and boardwalk the boardwalk tapes i mean i know that, that i know the boardwalk and um and all of a sudden they they absolutely took off and you and i didn't have for some reason i didn't really have that same kind of oh i owned them this is my thing with arctic monkeys i think because they were sheffield lads and i wanted them to do well i mean they're not they're sheffield they're proper sheffield lads i'm a i'm an import i've only lived here since i was 19 or 18 but I, there was, you know, a real will from the city for them to go out and do it because we knew that they were so good. We knew that they had, they had it. You could just tell Alex Turner is just one of those people, isn't he? He's got it. Yeah. Whatever it is, he has tons of it. Yeah. Interesting, though, because I've been to gigs, right? I've been to festival-sized gigs of just them now, and I don't feel that way. And I don't know what it is, but there's an element of, like, the Arctic Monkeys fan, even in that scenario, where you still feel like they love the band. Um, so I, I haven't felt that way so much with them uh, as I have with bands like Kings of Leon and maybe it's because like even still today the Arctic Monkeys are pretty much just big in the UK they're bigger, they have a name for themselves in the US but they are nowhere near um, the, the, like, the popularity that they have here they don't have that there and so maybe that's part of it is why I've still been able to, to hold on to the fact that it's not all different I think also, I might be wrong about this, but I don't recall having heard any Arctic Monkey songs on, you know, adverts for washing up powder or yeah. phones or yeah. anything like that. It, it still feels like they, I'm not suggesting that the Kings of, I mean, I don't want anyone from the Kings of Leon to ring up upset or get in touch. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I've, I seem to recall that quite a lot of their stuff is um, being turned into ads or 
you know, the usual kind of band gets popular, you hear them everywhere, including lots of places where you feel like you probably shouldn't. Yeah, like on an advert for a BBC One radio drama or something, you know, but the Arctic Monkeys are not there, which is, and I agree with that, so that but probably has helped. They feel like they've uh, not given into the commercialism as much, I guess, as some other bands. I mean, do you think that's what happened with Damien Rice? Uh, well, with Damien Rice, he definitely he definitely didn't want that to happen, and that was kind of why it all fell apart because um, he didn't want the fame. Um, he was, you know, seen interviews with him from the time, and he he's a guy in a mess. You can tell that the the um, the success wasn't really what he bargained for, and um, and he basically started being a terrible person to everyone because he felt like you know the usual thing that happens when um, people get famous and then they kind of don't like it um so he definitely didn't want that it would seem but um but then at the same time i don't know i guess he had i guess there was an enormous pressure on him too you you don't know what kind of licensing deals he had or how it kind of worked out with the record company how much control he had over what the songs were used for but um but i i don't know he definitely if you listen to the interviews he definitely didn't really like the 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 attention and hence disappeared for many years. Uh, going back to the tracks, are there any others that you wanted to to pick out specifically? Well, I did. I, I was going to just mention Cold Water. There's just one thing about it, two things about it really. You mentioned the second half of the album is different to the first. The first is kind of where it feels like, and I use this phrase loosely, but it's where the hits are, um, and the first four to five songs, I think including Amy, which might be track six, I'm not sure, they're all, they're, they're kind of, um, they're not straightforward, they're not they're not straightforward songs, and they're great, but they're kind of easy to listen to. And then just before um, Cold Water, which is my favourite, there's a track called Cheers Darling. Cheers, darling. Here's to you. Which is kind of a mess. It's kind of, it's a bit of a racket. Um, and and I don't. I think again. I think if you'd have asked me at the time, I'd have said no. Well, of course, it's, it's this is just uh, an expression of who he is at this particular point. And someone might have said to me, "Well, it sounds like a bit of a racket." And I would have gone, "No, no, it's a very intentional racket with rackets uh, performed in a, a specific way." I listen back to it now, and I go, "That's probably the weak point of the album." However. It's um, it kind of it, it becomes more of a racket as the song goes on, and it kind of get, it's it's not loud, but it's it's just it gets a bit of a noise. But then all of a sudden, those opening notes of cold water come on, and they, they feel like cold water. It's like someone's just popped a little shower on the previous song and said, um, "Let's clean you up a little and uh, get back to doing something a bit more um, interesting," and. And so just those little transitions are are kind of one of the things I like about the album is it, it doesn't really settle. A lot of albums that are singer-songwriter acoustic albums, they do tend to just kind of, I guess, have the same sort of pace and the same volume and they just sort of meander along. But I quite like the sharp, the sharp changes. And, and also, again, looking back, I know I'm talking, I know I'm trying to, I seem to be keep. I seem to keep positioning myself past me and uh, and current me. But listening to Cold Water now, um, the lyric uh, is 
by far and away the one that I love the most. And again, it's really simple. But cold, cold water surrounds me now and all I've got is your hand. An incredibly simple kind of image, I guess. But it's I, I just find that incredibly powerful now. And I think when I first listened to that, when I was much younger, um, I just wouldn't have, I would have just thought, oh, that's a nice song or that's a nice image. And you know, I've always cared about lyrics. Um, uh, and, and, you know, that's something that interests me because, you know, partly because I'm a writer. But part of being a writer was the fact that I also, I've always felt like I hadn't experienced enough in life. When I was writing my novel, um, I was very conscious of the fact that I was, when I first started, that I was only 23. And I thought, I've not really had anything bad happen to me yet. Um, and I know that sounds like a slightly silly thing to say, but people do. They make it well into their 20s, 30s, 40s before anything really terrible happens. And of course, you know, teenage years, all that kind of thing, the usual stuff. But looking back now, now I'm 35, 34, <laughs> I'm 34, um, soon 35. Looking, looking at that now, um, stuff's happened. You know, I've had uh, relatives die. Um, I've had children. I mean, that's not necessarily... I don't mean that as a bad thing, but the process of going through childbirth and, you know, we have identical twins and there's like a huge amount of risk in, in carrying identical twins. Thankfully, everything was fine. But the sentiment of this song um, really, really resonates with me now, um, especially when I think about my wife. You know, like, as I said, I've, I've, I've known and been with since um, I very first listened to this album and we listened to it together and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a cornerstone of our relationship. When I think about those line, that line now, cold, cold water surrounds me now, and all I've got is your hand. There are times now where I know, I know that I've, I felt like that, where you just think, I am, I am absolutely up to my neck in it. I don't know what to do, um, and and kind of my emotions are, are totally got the better of me. Bad stuff is happening, or scary stuff is happening. I'm completely nervous, and it's at that moment where you do kind of reach out and and you know if you're fortunate enough um, like I am uh, and you have someone that you can reach out to that that's kind of real sentiment that just it's as I've as I've had that song on repeat it's the one that I keep playing back as I've been re-listening to the album um it, I, I'm kind of I get kind of emotional every time I, I think about it which is kind of crazy but it's just um I think it's a uh, being able to write a lyric that is is very succinct in utterly plain language and more or less, you know, not a lot of metaphor going on, but still have some resonance without it sounding mawkish, I think is quite a, quite a powerful thing. Today's episode of Inquisitive is also brought to you by Squarespace. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com and use the offer code INQUISITIVE at checkout to get 10% off Squarespace. Build it beautiful. With Squarespace, you'll be able to build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of how much you know about coding websites. It doesn't matter whatever your skill level is. It doesn't matter how much coding experience you have. Their intuitive and easy to use tools will make building your own website super simple and you'll be able to make something that looks and feels exactly how you want. Squarespace powers all of their websites with fantastic technology, state of the art even. It's trusted by millions of people around the world and there's a good reason for that. They ensure security, stability and back it up with 24-7 support with live chat and email. All of Squarespace's sites look fantastic. They all feature responsive design. They have really great templates that you can take advantage of, customize and flex 
to your heart's content. And if you do know coding stuff, if you are a whiz behind the keyboard, you'll be able to stretch Squarespace even further with their dev platform. You can get in under the hood and make some tweaks. But then again, you also, even if you do know this stuff, you don't have to build everything. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Squarespace has a fantastic commerce platform to allow you to sell stuff very, very easily with a Squarespace site. They have their rock solid fast hosting. They have their cover page functionality to build great looking single page websites and so much more. If you sign up, you'll get for a year, you will get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. And their plans start at just $8 a month. Sign up for a free trial today with no credit card needed. And you can build your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com. When you do decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code inquisitive at checkout. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Squarespace, build it beautiful. In general, are you more uh, interested in the lyrics in music than the music itself? I, I'm not not really. I, and, and I, get, I sometimes feel like I should be, what with the writing background and stuff. Um, I do love lyrics. I love The Smiths. Um, one of my favourite songs is "There is, uh, you know, there is a light that never goes out." I love the lyrics to that song. I love the lyrics to lots of Smith songs. I love a lot of the lyrics from the Beatles. Um, I love lyrics from bands like um, Ben and Jason, who you may not have heard of, another one of the acoustic bands um, from the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I do love lyrics, but if the if the music's rubbish, then I'm kind of not interested. Or not if the music's rubbish, but if I'm not into the music, then I struggle. There has to be a partnership. It has to work together. Like if you think I mentioned uh, Bonnie Bear, and I love the album, and I do know some of the lyrics, but I, I can't tell what he's saying some of the time. <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> I don't know if everyone's you know been prepared to admit that, but I think it's kind of he kind of mumbles a lot, and um, but I still love the album, and there's you can still convey a, a message sometimes without you know without <laughs> literally making sure that you. Uh, um, speak every word properly. Um, so they kind of, it does have to work together, I think. I think if, the, the Arctic Monkeys again, I think if those songs had been rubbish, those lyrics wouldn't have, wouldn't have had, um, they would have spilled, they would have been amazing lyrics. They are amazing lyrics. Alex Turner is a fantastic lyricist. He's a poet. Um, but I think if he'd have had terrible songs, he would, we would not know about them now. Yeah, there's, I think that there has to be it's so like you know, I am I am definitely a lyrics person. Lyrics come first for me, but there has to be good music that accompanies them to make them listenable in the first instance. But I do consider good lyrics to be to be more important because, for example, I am less like if 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 like it has decent if it has music that I enjoy, but after a certain period of time, like after listening to it, I realize that the lyrics are rubbish then I will stop enjoying the song, but it doesn't necessarily work in the inverse. Like if it's something where the music is acceptable, but not incredible, but I really love the lyrics then it will stick. Um, that they really, for me, the deciding factor is that. And part of it is in the fact that I very much enjoy singing privately when no one else is around, but very much I do enjoy singing. And I think that's part, part of it for me. So Broom, do you sing? Well, Mike... Um, I do like a sing song, I have to admit. Uh, I've got two kids now, so I've, I'm particularly good at things like Wheels on the Bus. Um, <laughs> it's your hit. Incy Wincy Spider. Um, but I, I, um, I, used to, I did used to be in a band. Have I told you this before? 
no, you have not told me this before. So now we're going to spend an hour talking about it. <laughs> I must have told you. <laughs> no, I must have told you before. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I was in. Um, I was in a band. We. Uh, so I think around the time Damien Rice came out, uh, or the album rather. Um, I think I was probably. It was probably towards the end of being in a band. Um, but I was in a band when I was sixteen, from uh, all the way through sixth form, so college and through to college, university, all that kind of thing. So about four years, four or five years, I was in a band, and um, I was the lead singer. I was the only singer. Um, the thing was, Mike, I, I wasn't very good at singing, and <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, w- I was all right. If I, if, if, if the, and I'm going to use, I don't know what, I don't even know what terms to use at this point, but I was okay if the, um, if, if it was, if the song was in the right, I'm going to say key. Yeah, and that works. Yeah. So if it was in the right key, then I was, I was kind of fine. But if we wrote, because we did all of our own songs and I wrote the lyrics and I, I kind of, I did just sort of contribute quite a lot. Mainly, I think I was... Um, I don't know if I would have ever have told them this, but I was I was kind of the only one who was into what sort of vaguely at the time modern contemporary cool music. Yeah, that's a bit harsh. But we were when we were discussing covers. Well, let me just say this, Mike. I have been forced to perform all right now at a rugby club <laughs> presentation evening. <laughs> and and I'll be honest. They liked that better than they liked our own songs, but that's uh, that's the way cover versions go. I, I had to follow it up with um, two four six eight motorway, um, and you know it's one of the loneliest moments of my life, standing on a stage in front of a load of drunken rugby players singing two four six eight motorway. Um, but when we did our own songs, then if it wasn't written in the right key, then I was just I was I was struggling. I would go low. I would basically go low. If in doubt, go low. Don't go high. Never go <laughs> high. <laughs> if in doubt, go low. And uh, and that got me through. But the people I was in the band with, like, you know, these are some of my best friends. And it's only in the last, um, you know, year or so where, I've, where I I happen to listen back to some of the stuff. And the music's kind of fine. You know, it's of its time. Um, but the songs that we wrote together, yeah, they, they were fine. But I, I, I said to them recently, I said, why did you not tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm letting you guys down. <laughs> but they were all good. Like they were all musicians. They they learnt when they were kids to play the play the piano or keyboard. One the guitarist. We had an amazing drummer. He was amazing. And 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 there was I at the front, sort of just uh, kind of pushing through with raw enthusiasm and misplaced confidence. And. Um, and but it was fun. I mean, it was I. It was uh, thrilling. I I loved it. I absolutely loved like playing live and stuff. But um, looking back now, I don't know how I didn't get booed off stage more often than not. Were you singer by default? Like, could you play any instruments? No, but I do remember. I didn't play any instruments, but I do remember in um, one band practice, I arrived with a tambourine. They gave me some funny looks. They knew what the score was and um, started playing, sort of practicing the first song. <laughs> and um, I remember thinking this would, this would be an appropriate point uh, for me to start playing the tambourine. And, uh, and so I did. I did play the tambourine. And we got to the end and uh, we had a meeting and the consensus was that I shouldn't be playing tambourine. And um, I perhaps shouldn't bring it again. 
And so I didn't. <laughs> so straight back to the vocals. <laughs> you get back to what you know best. <laughs> <laughs> you get back to the job that we've given you, at least. <laughs> there is, I have, I have actually, there is, um, on, on my um, um, much neglected SoundCloud account, there is a, a live recording of the band on there, because I did talk about this on, on my own podcast. And um, I, I did promise that I would include something. It's only been listened to, even the people that listened to my own podcast were so convinced that I would not be worth listening to that it's had very few listens. <laughs> I but that's fine. 100% guarantee that it will be in the show notes for this episode. <laughs> it was a, it was just like a, an old cassette player just thrown in the back of the practice room. And we had, for a time, we had, um, we had a really good bass player. And for the last year of the band's life, we had um, a guy who kind of just stepped in to help. But he was, um, we, we never did a gig. We spent a year practicing um, for uh, uh, every week, pretty much with a bass player who, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not sure he could play any kind of bass. He kind of played one or two notes over and over, and he was on this recording. However, he had probably the best name of any human being I've ever met. His real name, actual real name, was, um, bear in mind that he's a bass player in a band, which, you know, despite him not being able to play bass very well, gives him a certain cred. Um, his name was Robert Amore, which, oh. of course, is uh, Bobby Love, if you... Uh, Make a few adjustments. <laughs> when I when I was introduced to him, and um, everyone said, "Oh, this is uh, this is Rob," I was like, "Right, Rob, uh, you, you know, nice to meet you. Um, are you? Can you play bass? Because I'm not very good at singing. We should start our own eurythmic style band, maybe in the future." Um, once I'd uh, you know been introduced introduced him as Rob, I heard someone calling him. Bobby Love and I thought why why I know he's you know give the guy a break we've only just met him I know he's not very good but don't start you know and then they told me this his surname was Amore and Robert Amore Bobby Love and I thought well this guy's a hero <laughs> Bobby Love is a fantastic name it's great <laughs> so Brumus aside from um introducing this album to your wife was there a, did you ever like try and sit people down and uh, be like, you need to listen to this. You must listen to this. It's the best thing ever. Also, aside from assembling a group of friends and dragging them to Manchester. Um, yeah, I did. But uh, this is the thing. It was. It didn't ever feel like I had to drag people in front of it after a point because it was everywhere and people kind of knew the album. It was. It was more those um, that kind of first year or even before the album came out, really, where I was. Just trying to find, you know, this is pre-YouTube. I was just trying to find anything I could because I was mm -hmm. just, I just fell in love with uh, the blower's daughter, um, and I just wanted to try and find whatever I could to listen to, um, and and I did. I did try and share it with as many people uh, as possible. I can't really remember whether people were just kind of pacifying me and just sort of nodding along, saying yeah, it's fine, that kind of thing, or whether people were genuinely interested. I know that one of my friends who I went to that gig with now. Um, Longpod, my dear friend Longpod, um, this is not his real name, um, he, uh, uh, he still listens to it. And when Damien Rice's new album came out, I was, you know, I texted him saying, have you heard it and all this kind of thing. And it was really, really nice to, to uh, kind of have that shared experience still, even though we didn't see each other very much anymore. Um, so, I, you know, I do still kind of do that kind of thing with albums. I did it m most recently with uh, Local Natives. I really sort of fell for Local Natives, um, their two albums. And um, but uh, yeah, I can't really remember how much I did do it with Damien Rice, but it felt like probably a lot. 
And sort of now, considering that you maybe haven't listened to this album as much um, as in the past, how did you feel coming back to it? Well, first of all, I made the mistake of checking out the reviews from the time. So I was going into this thinking, I was actually going into this having recently listened to the, the new album and thinking, you know, I kind of already done my trip down memory lane with Damien Rice earlier in, in the year. So I was going in with going in quite, you know, optimistic really and thinking, you know, you know this was such a crucial part of my time. It really reminds me of uh, my friends, this particular gig in Manchester. It reminds me really very much of my wife and the time we got together, that and the start of the Iraq war, which is an entirely different story. And and um, they, they go together weirdly for us. And um, <laughs> it's true. I've, I've got, I can I can be there now, sat in in uh, in, in her bedroom, um, listening to Damien Rice and and sort of just having the TV on in the background and pictures of the first bombs dropping on Baghdad or or wherever it would have been on the news and just being this is just a weird place in history um that i'm at now personally and like the world and so you know i'm not joking it really does um, have those memories for me um but yeah i made the mistake of reading the reviews from the time pitch pitchfork review not very complimentary about this album at all and i i also read uh, um kind of a not really a review i guess it was someone doing what i'm doing now and looking back having really loved the album at a time They'd written a piece a couple of years ago, which was basically, oh, it was 10 years, so 10 years ago. And I found myself agreeing a lot with, with that piece. And he was, he was effectively saying um, things that he just absolutely adored at the time now seem maybe a little melodramatic. So you talked about the opera singer at the end of Eskimo. Um, and it just seems to me, listening now, just like, you didn't need the opera singer. That song was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that song was fine without the opera singer. Um, and it would have been cheaper because, you know, you have to pay for opera singers. Um, and the other big example is just to, to go back to Cannonball. The lyrics to Cannonball, they're kind of awful, I think. Um, at the time, it was this fantastic, great pop song. But I, I just kind of wish that it had been a different song that had have been catapulted into everyone's conscious. Um, and, and, and it wasn't, it was Cannonball. But I just think of those words, you know, what, what are they? I don't even know what they are because there's such this this is such a stupid series of sentences. Yeah. I can never get them in the right order. It's but, it's basically a bunch of different metaphors smashed together. Was it stones taught me to fly, love taught me to lie, something like that? Yeah, you, and if someone said that to you in real life, you, so you say it to me. Stones taught me to fly. Um, <laughs> you know, let's do, you know, go for it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, courage, teach me to be shy. <laughs> and and I would go. Right. <laughs> yeah, Anymore? When, when you, not off the top of my head, no. But yeah, it is a kind of a, a whole big mash of interesting sounding metaphors, I think. And yeah, when you when you kind of split it out like that, it's it's not it's not clever, really. No, it, it's kind of it feels a bit like um like your average pop song where you where you kind of just throw stuff together that rhymes. You know, life taught life life taught me to die. Um, and you kind of think, uh, did it? Are you sure? Because you, you look well. Um, and then, of course, it's not hard to fall when you float like a cannonball. And you think, well, hang on, how's this? Wait a sec. You've got a cannonball and it's floating. Um, and what is are you a scientist? Because you don't sound like a scientist. This is not how things work. So looking back at that now, I, I can look at back. I look back at the album with great fondness. I would 
even go onto a podcast and say that it was my favorite album but i can look back at it and also see the the flaws and and i can see that in some ways it it hasn't stuff like that hasn't aged terribly well but then like i say i also look at a song like cold water and i i see it from a whole different point of view um and i mean the, the main line in cold water is um is uh, uh uh lord can you hear me now and i'm not i'm not a religious person at all i'm the opposite of a religious person and and it's it's the fact that you know if you want it to be lord that's fine but lord can be wife best friend um whoever you want it to be and 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 that really resonated with me and i didn't expect that i didn't expect to hear any of the songs and them kind of touch me in the same way they had before um and it, you know that particular that particular song sort of got to me way more now because i've got much more you know life experience stuff's happened to me and it, it means more now so i think overall like your your feelings about the album are mixed from from a quality of the music standpoint um to the way that things have changed but, but it's also interspersed with the way that the album makes you feel so if you kind of take all of this into account would you say that you're proud of this album choice i am proud of this album choice i think that way too many people try and be cool when they don't need to be um and i think maybe i tried to be cool when i was younger i spent a lot of time buying albums and telling people that i'd listened to them when i hadn't but i loved this album when it came out it was um uh, it was it was not hugely popular and i felt like i was the only person in the world that had listened to it i was definitely the first person of all my friends to to find it and um over the course of about 18 months i fell in love to it and so i'm completely proud and it may have gone on to sell millions and millions of copies um and 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 that's just fine and i know that that does change the way you think about things and i can look back at it now and i do see the flaws but that's because i look back at lots of things in life and see the flaws that's the whole point of of um getting older and uh, and wiser i suppose but i don't think anyone should feel remotely um ashamed or or silly for for liking what they like.